1: Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered, too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18-plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: You could save big when you bundle your home and
1: auto with Progressive, but when we just come out and say it, it feels like it falls a bit flat. So we're going to use humor.
0: But we don't want to insult your intelligence, so nothing too goofy. And we need to avoid any polarizing topics. Oh, and it has to be about how you can save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. You know what? Maybe humor is a bad idea. Yeah, it's never going to work. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.
1: Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and in this episode I'll be talking once again to Alex Goldberg from the YouTube channel The Byline. Alex is a huge Chelsea supporter. He's on to share his thoughts on the upcoming derby between Chelsea and Fulham. This is our View of the Opposition show, which is our preview for the upcoming match. I look forward to doing this show, but before I do anything else, I have to welcome back my friend. Alex is my friend. Alex, welcome back to Cottage Talk. Thank you for doing this once again.
0: Oh, Russ, I hate being mushy with you, but real pleasure to be on Cottage Talk and always a pleasure to chat football with you. So thanks for
1: having me on. Well, it's always great to talk to you, my friend. It's uh, been a little bit. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about Chelsea and Fulham. We're obviously going to start with talking about Chelsea and let's take it from here. Let's talk about Chelsea season after these two teams played each other. Your view.
0: Wow. I mean, first of all, with Chelsea, it's just never boring. It's never, ever boring. It's almost been circus-like for much of the season. Now, last time we talked, things were different, but the season obviously started off really, really well for Chelsea. A big, unbeaten run, and it really felt like the honeymoon phase with Maurizio Sarri was... More than I think many expected, even who were fans of sorry, it was really a great start to the season. But all good things must come to an end. The honeymoon phase does end eventually, and boy, sure. did it. It kind of ended in typical Chelsea fashion with just a lot of dysfunction, not your normal losses, just some bad, bad losses. Some very bad, bad uh, losses. Yeah, just it, when it rains, it pours kind of with Chelsea. So, I mean, there was a bad loss to Leicester. There was a 4-0 loss to Bournemouth course there was a six nil loss to manchester city which you know losing the manchester city and i said this on my youtube channel which you plugged Russ, and i appreciate it but losing the manchester city is easy you know they're a great team but losing six nil to anyone is difficult it really is so it became a problem of who is the problem and all Chelsea fans just wanted to point the finger at one person or or one group of people, meaning some Chelsea fans just blame the players because the players were certainly lacking pride. Some Chelsea fans only blame Maurizio Sarri because he has frustrated many Chelsea fans recently, and some Chelsea fans only blame the board and ownership for not giving Sarri the right players, not backing the manager as a whole, and also not sending a great message to the players that the player power has to stop. So it's been a joke, kind of, Um, but it's just funny because... With all of that said, the original goal in August when Sari was appointed was to get top four or really just to qualify for Champions League next year, which also means you could just win the Europa League. You don't have to get top four. But amidst all of this, amidst in recent weeks, really this last week, Sari's job being so much on the line that the reports have come out that if he had lost against Tottenham, on Wednesday, he would have been gone if they had lost in really bad fashion. The Manchester City in the Carabao Cup final, he would have been gone. Amidst all of this, Chelsea are still just three points behind Arsenal, two points behind Manchester United with a game in hand. And they're really within striking distance still for fourth place. And they're still in the Europa League. So it's really tough to get a, a great idea of where Chelsea are game to game but I would say I'm talking to you on Friday and the game against Fulham's on Sunday I would say considering how crazy the last couple months have been this is actually a good moment for Chelsea and I only mean it's a good moment because the last three games a win in the Europa League and then a respectable loss to City and then a win over Tottenham that's about as stable as it gets with Chelsea
1: right now glad that you talked about the last few matches, because I want to focus on the Carabao Cup final. I watched it. And I have to say, watching Chelsea rebound from the last time they played Manchester City was huge. Obviously, it did not go your way at the very end, but that's penalties, my friend. It happens. Sure. But the way that you competed, the way that you played, it was actually, It. I'm assuming you have a good feeling coming out of it, even though it did not go your way, you did not win the cup, But you showed something to Manchester City.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as I said, the report was that if Maurizio Sarri had lost that game, then Sarri would have been out the door. However, I'm pretty sure those reports, and I'm pretty sure the Chelsea higher-ups who were either definitely saying that or whatever, I'm pretty sure that was stemming from if Maurizio Sarri and Chelsea had lost that in really losing fashion. But as you said, Chelsea really played respectable, and it almost felt like a win. To Chelsea, even though it sucks losing in penalties, as you just said and and Maurizio Sarri has never won a trophy before, so i 'm sure he was really upset but just based on the way they competed against Manchester City, it almost did feel like a win, and you know I, I hate to sound like a Tottenham fan who get excited by just always being in top four and never wanting trophies but just based on everything that was going on, it was very impressive for Maurizio Sarri that game. And that, and that was a big game for Maurizio Sarri where yep. he's really stubborn and rigid. And Chelsea are no stranger to stubborn and rigid managers. They've had Jose Mourinho and they've had Antonio Conte, two very stubborn managers. But it's almost like Sarri's taken it to a new level. And he's been really hell-bent on playing, as he would say, his football or he says right. my football. And he often says, "I don't need a plan B if my plan A works." And he's referenced Barcelona always just using their plan A, which is to me is really a stretch. But um, what what impressed me about Maurizio Sarri in this game against Manchester City is maybe it's because Chelsea got spanked by Manchester City six nil only weeks before. Maybe it was just because Sari finally learned, but the point is he kind of put his pride aside in that game. He knows how possession-based Manchester City are. He knows how dominant they are with the ball and how dangerous they are. So really, he didn't change his whole formation, but he went back to a little bit of the formula that actually got us a win against Manchester City earlier in the year when he put Eden Nazard at the false nine. And in yep. this game specifically in the Carabao Cup final, he just sat everybody behind the ball. And it almost felt like the Chelsea of old with counterattacking football. But it was more than that. Uh, not only was everybody definitely doing their job and Sarri made that adjustment, but he made some big changes, in my opinion. Now, really, only one big change to the starting 11 besides Azar to the false nine. And that, Russ, if you follow me on Twitter and, and you yep. know me well, this was a big change. This was sitting Marcos Alonso, who has just been deplorable all season long. And yeah, I guess you could argue was good for Conte, but he was a left wing back for Conte and he's just not a good left back. So sorry, did something that was pretty rare. He started Emerson, Chelsea's other left back in a cup final, which really proved to be a great decision because they needed to be compact defensively. And where, where Sarri really won people over us was his substitutions. It felt like Chelsea, as the game grew on, it was nil-nil. And anytime you're nil-nil with Manchester City deep into the second half, you have confidence because they haven't scored yet. And Rizzo Sari had the cojones. He had the balls to put in Callum Hudson-Odoi as his first sub and put in Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a second sub. It and made a difference. Sure, Chelsea did lose in the end. Yeah, and, and they made a difference, and they really were dangerous. And they had way more opportunities than Manchester City did to win the game. They just Absolutely. didn't. Unfortunately, it went, it went to penalties. But for Maurizio Sari and the players, it almost felt like it could,
1: could have been a turning point,
0: even though it was a loss.
1: It's a very interesting way that you talk about it, because I'm glad that you talked about the attacking that was on display here because that's not what Sarri does. And so he actually did change things to his approach. But what was interesting, Alex, watching this game, and I'm glad you talked about the substitutions, because I thought that even though you did not have the ball that much, when you did have the ball, very dangerous, extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. So for me, watching that match, it was actually a little bit of a chess match and I have to give sorry some props because, you know, we've talked about it. He is very rigid. He did make some changes. And even though you did not get the cup, it seemed to work. And I think that's a positive to come out of this match for you, Alex. But let's now focus a little bit more on sorry, because uh, I remember when you were on the show before and you talked about your thoughts on him. I'm going to give you a comparison. I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. I might have. He reminds me of... Bill Cowher, a coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. We do what we do. Isn't that Maurizio sorry? So when he does decide to change things up, again, maybe you, you do get some interesting results. You can grow as a club if he's willing to not be so rigid. But let's talk about your thoughts on him now.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, he definitely does live by that mantra. He plays his football, and it's about his football, and It's just kind of, that's a loaded subject because I do believe in his football. Uh, You know, I have covered Serie A as well. And I'm very familiar with his Napoli that were so fun and beautiful to watch. And the big thing there was, A, I mean, it took a little bit of time to grow there. It wasn't like Napoli just became that overnight. He did need to work with these players. He views himself as a coach before a manager. So it took some time. But also he did have the right parts, especially last season, with Napoli, and I, I think this year it's been confusing because actually the team started off the season really well with Sarri's football, even though he did say it would take some time, and then it kind of went backwards. But I, I think it started off well because there was a good energy around the team, but also maybe the league needed to adapt to his football a little bit. Sure. And I think and they it, it kind of it hit a it hit a halt because. I just think it's obvious that Chelsea especially for their standard they you know obviously they're a top club they just don't have the right players to consistently play this type of football at a top top level. You know, I can be all jokey and have my players that I apparently have agendas against like a Willian or a Alonso or a Pedro who I like but I'm very vocal about Pedro just not being good enough anymore. I think the problem has been something actually that Pep Guardiola told Maurizio Sarri to do when Maurizio Sarri took over in the summer, and Pep said, and and they're pretty friendly, Pep said to Sarri, in your first season in the Premier League, focus on a core of 14 players. Now, that, Sarri still may have done, because as we just said, Sarri's stubborn, and he doesn't like to rotate a lot. However, it's still, (laughs) I don't think Sarri needed to hear that, because Sarri didn't have a full summer with the team. In fact, he had a very, very short amount of time before the season started. It was a World Cup summer and he was just appointed very late. So he pretty much settled on the first 14 players that he either saw or just the first 14 players that were really established veterans. So that really created a problem towards the holiday season when it was so clear that players like Callum hudson Adoy, Andreas Christensen, Emerson, Ruben Loftus-Cheek should be playing more. But Sari had kind of drilled into the other players, the first core of 12, 13 players that you're my first squad and I'm drilling my football into you guys first. So, you know, Russ, it became almost a a definition of insanity, trying the same thing over and over and over expecting different results. So uh, I think some of the more positive performances lately have been when sorry, has just changed things up a little, just a little, and just tinkered with some more combinations. And Hudson-Odoi is still not playing enough, but he's playing a little bit more. Loftus-Cheek is back from some injuries, so he's helping at least off the bench. Emerson's more involved, and I I do think Sorry, even though he's stubborn, is starting to realize if he just tinkers a little bit, it can do a load of good for the team.
1: Okay, very good. Okay, I asked you this last time, strengths and weaknesses. I I think it's pretty well known where the strengths are for Chelsea, if you want to. Just emphasize that again, feel free to. But I'm more curious about the weaknesses heading into this match because there's a little bit of unknown going into this. Fulham are more than likely going to get relegated, but they just sacked their manager. So there's, sure. again, a situation where I don't know if Mauricio Sari knows what to expect. In fact, I'm going to share a tweet that actually talks to that in a little bit when we talk about Fulham. But Again, this is a Fulham show, my friend. Where do you see the weaknesses of Chelsea heading into this match that potentially Fulham at Craven Cottage can take advantage of?
0: Well, I would definitely say the major weakness lately uh, has been Chelsea really leaving the back four exposed. And so much so that the last two games against Manchester City, now maybe it was just because it was against Manchester City, but they definitely sat further back. They definitely... Pressed a little less, they kind of picked their times to press because it was really important, especially against a team like City that they don't leave their back four exposed. And against Spurs, I mean, it was very clear for once. Maurizio Sarri was actually having the team switch from a four three three to a four two three one when defending. So it really meant N'Golo Conte was sitting much deeper when defending and really protecting that back four more. So I, I definitely think a weakness potentially against Fulham, it's, it's you know, obviously it's a Fulham show, so you're going to bring up the fact that Ranieri was sacked, but I do think it's an interesting point that it's going to be hard to know what to expect from Fulham for sorry. You know, yeah. it, it, sometimes it's almost like a trap game for the opposition when you're facing a team that just had their manager sacked because who knows what game plan they'll go with. But if Chelsea do get a little bit more daring, because once again, no offense, but Fulham yep. are obviously a step down from a Manchester City and a Tottenham, if chelsea get a little bit more daring and they, they for like they have the last two games and more like they haven't protected the back four in the past couple of months then there will be opportunities to catch chelsea sleeping defensively i mean i don't think very highly of david louise defensively i like rudiger but he can definitely you know, he's not an elite center back. He can have his good games and his bad games as Piloqueta struggles with pacey wingers. And he really just doesn't look like the classic as Piloqueta that Chelsea fans have been used to. And I mean, if Marcos Alonso starts, Fulham can easily catch him. And then where are the goals going to come from? Where are the goals going to come from? Because, I'm sorry, Gonzalo Iguin hasn't necessarily set Chelsea ablaze with goals. Yep. And Willian and Pedro are just not huge goal scorers, especially Willian. So it could very well once again be at an Hazard carry us.
1: Okay, very good. And obviously it starts with Hazard um, when we talk about key players. But I want to ask you about a player, then we're going to move on. Jorginho. Mm. Again, we've talked about the Serie jorginho situation Seri has not lived up to his uh, transfer. There's no question about that. But um, you follow Chelsea on a regular basis. I don't watch them, obviously, like you do. And uh, I've seen some rumblings about Jorginho. What's going on with him?
0: Yeah, so I would say Jorginho, first and foremost, is the scapegoat of the Chelsea community. Anytime the team loses, they, I, the fans either blame Maurizio Sari obviously, because that's just what you do. You blame the manager. Or they just blame Sari's best friend, his son, on the pitch that he brought over from Napoli, Jorginho. And I think right. Jorginho has definitely been unfairly blamed countless times. Even pundits, e- even English pundits who maybe don't watch Serie A as much have really used Jorginho as the number one player to blame. And while I'm not saying Jorginho's had a tremendous season, I definitely think it's harder for people to understand what Jorginho's role is because on on a whole on a, on the surface it just looks like Jorginho passes the ball from side to side and it looks really basic but when you watch Jorginho for Napoli, Jorginho is the metronome, he was the nucleus to everything Napoli did, a lot of triangular passing, and Jorginho was really the conductor who made the ball move from right to left, and by the way, actually did have forward passes, that's the big thing this year, is Chelsea fans are like, oh, he never passes the ball forward, he doesn't have an assist, but he really is more the guy to get the assist to the assist, and he does pass the ball forward, it's just his number one job is to possess the ball with the team, keep the ball moving, keep the defense on its toes, so I definitely do think he's had trouble adapting to maybe some of the physicality of the league. I definitely think there have been times where the opposition has zeroed in on Jorginho and he has just not been very effective, but really for me, Russ, Jorginho will look so much better and has had good games recently because the players around him are more cohesive. If if the players around him are understanding the system, they're doing their job, they're adapting to maybe Sari's recent tweaks and tactics, Jorginho will look good or at least not look bad. And I think the Chelsea fan base consensus is the last two games, Jorginho has looked pretty good. Now, on Wednesday, he wasn't great attacking-wise, but he was great defensively. And I just think that it's going to take time for him. And when the team loses, and when the team loses 4-0, 6-0, Jorginho's going to look the worst. But really, it's just a reflection of people not being on the right page. And this this system does take a while. And I just think because of all the responsibility that's been on Jorginho's plate, Anytime Chelsea have looked poorly, Jorginho has kind of looked the worst. But credit to him, last thing on Jorginho, he just spoke about this. So this is very topical and very relevant to bring up. He just spoke about him being booed and, and kind of maybe unfair treatment he's getting. And he he really just had a classy answer and was just saying he's pretty much determined to kind of change that narrative and they have the right to do that. And he didn't really get into the nitty gritty and really kind of was classy about it and I just, I just think if if you're really watching Chelsea every game, you know that Jorginho does not deserve at least at least seventy percent of the criticism he gets.
1: Okay, that's great. Coming up next, Alex will be sharing his thoughts on Fulham. Okay, Alex, let's get into talking about Fulham. I want your view of my club. Uh, before we get deep into that, I have to ask you about the sacking of Claudio Ranieri through your eyes. What are your thoughts about it?
0: Man, I really like Claudio Ranieri. I think the whole Chelsea fan base does. I really think he's a classy guy. I think he obviously has had a great football career. Uh, well, he certainly has. That's not. I think it's really not debatable. I mean, what he did with Leicester City. Russ, you could have one season as a manager, and that would be enough to make you... Just among the the greats in and, and, and certain types of conversations, sure. obviously. What he did with Leicester City was just so, so impressive. Just can't even happen in some sports. So um, it's just unfortunate what happened with Fulham. I mean, I personally would ask why did he continue on (laughs) you know what why I mean I kind of know the answer to that question it's love of the game and still believing in your ability to manage and and to be effective at a high level in the Premier League but for me it's just kind of it's sad it is sad for me to see because for a guy like that for what he's accomplished and just what he means to the sport it would have been great to see him go out on his own terms. It's just hearing the word sack and Ranieri uh, just together. It just, it sucks. It sucks. And um, I know Chelsea and Fulham are rivals and it's Darby and everything, but it's just, it's not anything Chelsea fans wanted to hear uh, that Claudio Ranieri got sacked. Chelsea fans really have really, really good feelings towards him. And And I know that, you know, he's been by the club. He's been by Cobham and uh, visited Chelsea training in the past couple of years. I know he did, I think, at the end of the preseason. And, I mean, seeing him smile with N'Golo Conte and Danny Drinkwater and even Eden Hazard, who, of course, arguably helped him win the title at Leicester by getting that goal <laughs> against Spurs. Um, you know, he just he just really is well-respected. So, yeah. obviously... You know the fans. We don't know them personally, like the players do. But it was just—it just, just kind of sucked to see that.
1: Yeah. Well, just to uh, fill you in from a phone perspective, uh, they did the right thing by getting rid of uh, Rennerian. This isn't personal. This has to do with it wasn't working, and uh, he's not solely to blame. Even the owner said that in his statement when they put it up on the phone website, talking about the sacking of Rennerian, the appointment of uh, Scott Parker, Chad Khan said he's not solely responsible he's not there are a lot of factors here but unfortunately for him he came into a situation where he had a different style from Jokonovic and it was square pegs and round holes he wanted them to play differently and I don't think he had the players to do it so I think he was up against it just coming in and it just didn't work so they part ways and Fulham are in a situation where they're I want to say just trying to do their best for the rest of the season, play with pride as we've been talking about on cottage talk and then um, look forward to next season, probably in the championship. And now it's really about just playing together as a team, because I think they've lacked that they have not looked like a unit. So I think this is a situation that needed to happen, but I do wish uh, Claudio Ranieri all the best. Again, it just didn't work with Fulham, but Let me ask you just to work off this. Let's talk about the fact that Scott Parker is coming in as caretaker manager. And this is an interesting situation. He has been involved with under uh, Savice Okonavich. He's also been under Claudia Ranieri. So he's coming in. And to be honest with you, I don't think anyone really knows what to expect from Fulham on Sunday under Scott Parker. And uh, so let me ask you this, because is that something that would concern you? I actually saw on the uh, Chelsea Football Club Twitter account, there, there were some comments, I'm paraphrasing from Maurizio Sari. They were talking about the fact that just what we're talking about here, Alex, is that really they don't know what to expect. So what are your thoughts on the unexpected? Forget about the new manager bounce, just the fact that Sari plays a certain style. And even though he is a green coach, we're talking about Scott Parker, I think he's going to know how Chelsea's going to set up. But Chelsea doesn't know how Fulham's going to set up. Could that be something to look at and be concerned about, even a little bit, from a Chelsea perspective?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, obviously, it is – I feel like one of one of two things can happen in your first game as manager in this type of a scenario. Yep. You either make it a really, really, uh, you know, with a Fulham versus Chelsea, which is obviously not an even match player quality-wise. Sure. But I feel like Absolutely not. it either is you either go balls to the wall and you just feel like as a new manager, and Scott Parker as a younger manager, as a manager like that, you feel like maybe your players will just run through a wall for you in the first game and you could actually – pull a complete surprise and have a resounding win or do you play things safe because you don't have a lot of structure yet you don't have a lot of your philosophy imprinted so you kind of play things safe and maybe you sit back but whatever approach they go with I think the fact that Scott Parker can better prepare for Chelsea than Chelsea can prepare for Fulham is something to be concerned about as a Chelsea fan so much so that remember, Chelsea just played two big, big teams. And these were right. games that were watched by more than just Chelsea and Manchester City fans and Chelsea and Tottenham fans. These are games that were definitely watched by probably the Fulham players, but probably Scott Parker, probably a good amount of people who were at Fulham. So, they've now seen what chelsea have done differently in the last two games. i mean, many were watching the carabao cup final and many were watching that game against spurs. so i think or you can always watch it later of course. so sure. i think i think he will be keen to the fact that he knows that chelsea might be switching now between a 433 and a 4231 depending on if they're possessing it or defending it. they're also now not pressing as much or in the same way um Maurizio Sarri said publicly so I'm sure Scott Parker heard it said publicly that his players have asked to sit deeper and he has listened and he can still play his football with his players sitting deeper so that's right out there in the public for Scott Parker to know so Scott Parker has certainly been around he's now has experience as a player and as a manager to some extent and I think the the scariest thing, though, besides the fact that he can be more prepared for Chelsea than Chelsea can be prepared for him, I think the scariest thing, as well as a Chelsea fan, is he's a younger manager, and yeah, maybe his players are, you were just talking about Ranieri and just not being able to get everybody to play with each other and for each other. I feel like sometimes in these situations, the players can unite. They can bond together and they can really almost play for a new meaning. And yeah, the relegation situation is not great with Fulham right now. And it does look dark and bleak, but I almost fear as a Chelsea fan that this could be a symbolic game for Fulham on Sunday and really could just be viewed as a a fresh start and almost a one game season.
1: Okay. Very interesting there. Alex, and uh, I'm going to give you an interesting fact that one of my co-hosts brought to my attention, which I find fascinating. Roy Hodgson, Felix McGath, and Scott Parker, their first Premier League home match against Chelsea. Mm. Think about those three managers. They don't have much in common. What they have in common is that their first match in charge of Fulham at at home is against Chelsea, which I find very interesting. I don't know know if that means anything, but I just find that extremely interesting. All right, let's get a little bit further into this. As a Chelsea supporter, Fulham still have some decent players for you to be concerned about. I'm assuming that you're going to start with Mitrovic. Who else concerns you along with Mitro? Honestly, the new guy, Ryan Babel who's
0: you know a veteran and has been around but he just seems like a player that could come up with those random good games against a team like Chelsea. Uh, I know he was good for Basticas and I just I just feel like he's somebody that maybe Chelsea won't give total due credit towards and he could end up having a sneaky good game. Maybe Luciano Vietto although I assume he'd probably be coming off the bench for you guys. Yeah. Um so honestly, in in preparation for me knowing you would ask me this question, I mean, I I just feel bad. I'm not saying Cessiño because I, I just I'm a fan of the player, and I yeah. feel obviously I, I just feel like this year is not a great reflection on actually who Cessiño is as a talent. I totally like agree. I, you know, I I, totally I, I really out. think that. Obviously, globally, internationally, his value in stock has dropped a bit, but I don't feel that's totally justified because it's just – I feel like he would have done better, and this isn't a slight to Fulham, but he just would have done better if he was on a bigger team this year and there wasn't so much pressure and onus on him to be one of the top players for Fulham. So I'm not saying Sessignon, but that really has less to do with what I think about him. I still think he has a bright future. So the player I was prepared to say was actually Ryan Babel.
1: Okay, interesting. And getting back to Sessignon, it's funny because we were just talking about it last night on the show the show we did about the sacking of Claudio Ranieri, and uh, the name, obviously, Sessignon comes up. And uh, one of my co-hosts, Alex, was talking about that the rest of the season, full need to try, twofold, obviously do the best that you can the rest of the season, and on a high note, that's number one, but also maximize their assets, meaning yeah. play your best players, including Sessignon. Get him in the shop window because, as you just said, his value might have dropped. Well, you need to get his value back up because it's important for the future of Fulham Football Club. I don't know if Ryan Session will be with the club next season. Again, he is a huge asset. It's something that the club has to think about. But I think also that they need to get the value up on a player like him, Sorry, obviously Mitrovic, Tom Kearney. So what are your thoughts about that? Because again, the rest of the season is for me is twofold. It's ending strong, but also playing your best players, playing together as a team, but also to get these players shining through so you can maximize their value.
0: I I totally agree. And listen, I mean, Chelsea, obviously, I mean, Fulham has a lot to play for still, even though it looks bleak because they don't want to get relegated. But look at Chelsea. They still have so much to play for. Every game is so important. They want to get top four. So every minute, every kick is crucial. But even John Terry said uh, a week ago that because Chelsea can't win the title, you know, they just can't win the Premier League title at this point that he would start playing a Callum Hudson-Odoi and a Ruby right. Loftus-Cheek, especially with a potential transfer ban hitting, that he would love to use the end of the season, not just because they can help the team now, but he would love to use the end of the season to see what Chelsea have. So exactly. you, take, you take something like that and you apply it to a Fulham where it's not as as much that they have to play for despite getting out of relegation – and not having a Cessignon be somebody that's in form and a big player, absolutely. you got to really, at this point, when you're, what, 10 points out of potential to get out of the relegation zone? Correct. You, you, you have to play Cessignon. What do you have to lose? You only right. have stuff to gain, in my opinion. If it doesn't work out, okay well I mean his stock drops a little bit further but and fine you're going to get relegated anyway then but if it does work out he's raising his stock again you now know what you have a little bit more other teams know what you have a little bit more to me that would be like my first priority obviously as you said you want the team to play together and you do want to end the season on a high note just for the club culture for Scott Parker for just everything and everyone involved but for me if I'm looking at a specific player with a priority down the stretch, it's getting Ryan Sessany going and kind of getting his, his stock at least turning in the other direction, even if it's slow. Because Russ, he's 18 years old still, and I know. he still is definitely one of the better talents at that age in England. And then look at someone like Callum hudson adoy who barely played last year for Chelsea. I mean, he really didn't play last year. He was 17. Sessegnon was playing all season in the championship and killing it. And now Hudson-Odoi is still not playing a lot, yet just because when he plays, and it's not that often, he plays well, all of a sudden his arrow is green and Sessegnon's is red. It's just crazy how in a year's time people can completely flip-flop when the story was completely the opposite not too long ago.
1: Yeah, it's... um... Unfortunate because I know how good of a player he's going to be. And uh, yeah. so that's why I understand what you're talking about with him. We also talked about even some young players, get them more involved for the future. His brother, Stephen Sessnion has a future, get him involved. Matt O'Reilly is, is a name who's a a young player that has the potential to play f- for Fulham and maybe someday in the Premier League, get him involved. And uh, for a couple of reasons, like we're talking about, get their value up, but also, in the case of O'Reilly and Steven Young, give them a chance to play because they could be a part of Fulham's future in the championship. Okay, my friend, let's just not waste any time. Let's go to my section of predictions. I first have to ask you, what does Chelsea need to do to win this match at Craven Cottage?
0: Uh, I think Chelsea needs to switch it up a little bit. I think they have to rotate a, a good amount because they played 120 minutes on Sunday, and that really had a lot of wear and tear on Azard. He was very ineffective against Spurs, so much so that he came out really just after 60 minutes or so. And David Luiz and Rudiger played 120 minutes and then 90 minutes. So he's going to have to change it up a little bit. He'll have to, I hope, throw in a hudson doy or a Loftus-Cheek, um, and then an Emerson probably back at left back. But he's, he's going to have to use a fresher squad, and I think if he does that, it will be using – probably players that feel motivated to want to keep up with all the players that did well in the last two games so change it up make three or four changes from wednesday's game and i would say treat fulham treat fulham the way you treated tottenham and manchester city and what i mean by that is if you just kind of and i don't mean fully sit back like you did against manchester city but if, if you just kind of figured that the players take to sitting a little bit deeper and yep. pressing a little bit more randomly, then don't let that go by the wayside just because you're facing a team that's really struggling. Try to have that become more of your identity and more cultured into the players. So I would say pay pay much less attention to where Fulham is on the table. And to a certain extent, treat this game as if you treated the city Tottenham game, but obviously you will possess it a little bit more, but but sure. really what I'm saying is don't deviate too much from what you've done in the last two games. If you're Chelsea.
1: Okay. So you're going with how they've changed their game instead of what they were doing up to that point. So like we talked about, sorry has changed a bit how Chelsea play. They still have the possession base. It's just a little bit different. Like you said, it's a little bit deeper. And uh, that's very interesting that you say that Alex. All right. Let's flip it. What do Fulham need to do to win this match? How do they beat Chelsea? a Huge upset. How can they pull that off?
0: Uh, personally, and I had talked about when you asked me about Scott Parker, um, I had talked about maybe it could be one or the other in terms of if the, the result of either they go balls to the wall or they really sit back and play it safe. I think if you're Fulham, though, you do play it safe and you do sit back quite a bit, especially since you aren't that familiar with your new manager and the new manager is not that familiar with obviously being in this situation. So I would frustrate Chelsea. I would sit a lot of people behind the ball and because Chelsea don't have that many goal scores. I mean, that really is one of their biggest weaknesses I would really sit a lot of people behind the ball, frustrate Chelsea, let them have the possession, but let them be very frustrated in their actual box. And then, and then see, because you're sitting behind the ball and because Chelsea will be possession-based, see how quickly they remember to change into a four two three one when defending. See if they yeah. remember to cover the back four when you hit them on the counter. So I, I would say um, almost do what Chelsea tried to do against Manchester City. Sit deep and try to hit them on the counter.
1: Okay. Excellent. All right, my friend, let's end with predictions, your prediction, and then I'll share mine.
0: Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, if you know me on Twitter, I am a negative person just by trade. (laughs) Um, So I I don't want to be sucked into the fact that it does feel like Chelsea might be turning a corner, but I am going to say, I am going to be optimistic that sorry, changes things up enough with the personnel that Chelsea have the right team out there to get a, 3-1 3-1 victory.
1: Okay. Alex, that's my prediction. I'm going to go with 3-1 okay. to, to Chelsea as well. I'd like to be optimistic. I, I obviously was throwing out the situation that sorry doesn't know what to expect. But, again, you're talking about a team that has only had uh, a couple of days to uh, learn under Scott Parker with what he wants to do. So it's – Positive and negative for both teams because Fulham aren't going to be up to snuff with uh, Scott Parker either. So I have to go with uh, Chelsea 3-1, and uh, I'd like to be proven wrong. So I just want to see a team that gives it everything that they can for 90-plus minutes. That's kind of what Scott Parker has been talking about. And if they do that and they leave everything out there, then that's all I can ask for as a Fulham supporter. That's been what i've been hearing from scott parker that's the message that has been getting across he wants his players to give everything that they can for foam that's all i want right now all right alex listen thank you so much for joining me tell everyone about your youtube channel
0: sure um yeah you can find me on youtube Uh, the channel is called the byline and it is called the byline for A couple different reasons, but also I didn't want it to just be Chelsea specific. I I do like to venture out, but I haven't yet because Chelsea has just been such a circus. There's been something to talk about every single day. So for right now, it is you could say a Chelsea fan channel. Really, just me giving match previews, match reviews, doing some Q and A's, just talking about anything that's pertinent in the Chelsea community, and that so far has just been me. Um, on the byline but it certainly will start turning into a couple different variations of videos and maybe incorporating other people but yeah you can cut kind of find me at the byline on youtube it's been really fun and uh hopefully this time next time i'm on your podcast russ uh, there'll be a couple more things to talk about regarding it
1: okay excellent there Alex, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Cottage Talk. For my guest, Alex Goldberg, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18-plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms supply, see McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price
0: tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.